Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and grateful to have another amazing episode for you today. Well, are you struggling with infertility, or do you know a family member or a friend who is? Are you not quite sure how to handle those conversations or what to talk about or really what type of support that you can offer? If you've ever struggled with infertility or know somebody who has, then this is the show for you. Joining me today on the episode is Anne Koshu, co-founder of Springs in the Desert, a ministry dedicated to the emotional and spiritual support of couples suffering infertility. Anne beautifully shares her journey with infertility and the process that led her to co-found this outreach. In this episode, we discuss best practices when supporting women and men with infertility, ways that couples should communicate about their infertility with each other, when to let go of treatment options and make the hard decision to move towards acceptance, how to be a good friend, and the specific ways that Springs in the Desert ministers to those suffering with infertility. When the show is done, please don't forget to leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. They help with Apple's little algorithms to let other people know the good work that the show is doing. And also, truly, they just bless me. I love being able to read the comments of the listeners and to know that the show is impacting you. So God bless everybody. And let's get into this interview with Ann Koshutes. And Koshutes, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mario. It's great to be with you. Well, it's a great gift to have you. I think this is a very timely, timely topic. Um, so just to say, I looking at looking at some statistics from a couple government websites. I think one was, um, man, I should have had this right in front of me, womenshealth.gov mm-hmm. says that about 10% of women have infertility issues of one variation or another. Um, then looking at some other websites related to men's infertility, uh, one in 20 men have low sperm counts. Uh, one in 100 don't produce sperm at all. But then when couples do struggle with infertility, a third of the time the issue is on the woman's side, a third of the time it's on the man's side, and the third of the time it's kind of a combination of both, which me- really means that when infertility is present in a relationship, it's about 50% of the time uh, the woman's issue, about 50% of the time the man's issue, which when I even looked at that honestly kind of surprised me. I think sometimes when we talk about this conversation, we tend to think of it only as like a woman's issue. Um, and we forget that that sometimes it's the man who's the contributor to to the struggle, to the difficulty. And so I think for just kind of the purposes of a conversation, just to say that like we want to encourage the listener in, in any way. Um, and we know that the that that this is that this is this is widespread and and the cross manifests itself in all of our lives. And we pray for grace and peace and healing in all things. Um, and, and asking the Lord to, to guide us in, in everything that we struggle with. So, but, but Anne, I know that this is a, a new apostle that you and uh, Kimberly have started. Um, but what is your story? I mean, what, what drew you to want to start uh, Springs in the Desert? Um, and, and yeah, just whatever you feel comfortable sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, just for a second to go back to those statistics that you read, it is interesting Please. because, you know, it, infertility is, you know, this sort of 50-50 problem as you framed it, right? That, you know, some of the time it, it could be something to do with the man, sometimes with the woman, sometimes it's a combination of both. But in all honesty, um, it is all the time an issue, a problem, a cross and a struggle 
for the couple. Um, and so I think that's one way that, and, and I'll get into, you know, the reasons, um, you know, my own story and the reasons that, that we started Springs in the Desert. And this is really one of them because infertility is so very isolating. And as you said, because women often, um, or, or really do take on that burden. I mean, we're the ones who, who carry life, right? We're the ones who, who become pregnant and, and who carry life. So, so often the burden seems to be so much on us. Um, but we, we really want to try to reframe that, to see that as a struggle and a suffering that a couple um, meets together, that a couple works through together so that the burden is not on one side or the other. And that's really one of the reasons why we started Springs in the Desert. Um, and it goes back to uh, my own story with infertility and my co-founder, Kimberly Henkel. Um, we, we really started this apostolate because of our own stories, our own struggles with infertility within our marriages. And um, the support that we were searching for that we really weren't finding. And, and I know we'll, we'll flesh mm -hmm. that out a little yep, bit more. Sure um, so just to tell you a little bit about myself, I mean, I grew up in a kind of typical Catholic family, you know, not perfect, but with a really good solid foundation from my parents. Um, I have one older brother and, uh, you know, as most children do, I I went through the gamut of different careers and things that I thought I wanted to be when I grew up. But there's one thing that that was constant and that I always had in my mind, and that is that I would be a mom someday. And so it's something that I that I really wanted for my life. Um, and then, of course, you know, as life goes on, plans change, careers change, and as I was getting older. You know, I found myself really wanting to wanting to be married and wanting to have a family, but not finding that one person. Um, and so it was not until I was in my 40s that I actually met my now husband. And that was really difficult because I was really feeling that call to marriage and to family and motherhood. Um, and it, and it seemed like it was taking a really long time, yeah, you know, it was getting yeah. really impatient and, you know, Lord, you have planted this desire in me to be a wife, you know, where is he, right? Where is that person? Mm. And even as I share this with you, I think about the ways in which God was really preparing me through that, right? You know, that he was really kind of telling me, yes, I have planted desires in your heart, um, but they'll be fulfilled in the way that I will fulfill them. Yeah. Right. They'll be believe. fulfilled. It's, it's hard to believe sometimes when we're in the thick of it all. It know? absolutely is. And, and it certainly was as I was you know, as I had really discerned, you know, I, I had discerned religious life. Is that where you want me, Lord? I had gotten a clear answer. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, you know, that sort of waiting. And I found that it wasn't until I kind of surrendered that finally, as best I could, as much as any of us can, right? Sure, because sure. we still, we still in some sense cling on to our plans. But really, once I kind of let that go, that's when things started to change. My relationship with God began to change. And then really very soon after that, I met my husband. And so, 
you know, it, it was just really so affirming to me, so affirming of God's faithfulness. And, and it was just so wonderful. And, and, you know, Keith is from Western Pennsylvania. We had a long distance relationship. Um, so that, you know, in hindsight, I see as difficult as that was, that that was a way that God was preparing us too, because he was, you know, helping us and giving us tools and opportunity to work through difficulty and in and communicate with each other. Um, and so, you know, we finally married after after two years total of dating and engagement. Um, I was 44, he was 46. And you know, we were, we were ready to go. Like, yeah. here we are, Lord, you know, we're, let's start this family. Um, and it didn't happen right away. Now, I mean, we had some understanding that because we were older, it was going to be more difficult, but I think there was also, I don't know if it was a certain amount of naivete, at least mm-hmm. on my part, because I just thought, well, sure, it might be a little more difficult, but you know, It'll God, happen. God's It'll be great. Been I've had this oh, desire, yeah. you know, all my life. God's gonna, it's gonna bring it. We're good. Exactly. Yeah, that's sure. exactly right. And then, of course, the advice starts rolling in from everybody, right? Because everybody knows exactly what you need to do to get pregnant right away. Um, so it's funny how like nobody talks about these things until there's a problem, and then all of a sudden, your, your sex life, excuse me, becomes everybody else's business. It's, I mean, it's, it's like yeah. It's true. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, but, but it is funny. Everybody, everybody, and I get that it comes out of a place of desire or wanting to help um, and feeling helpless in this. Um, But if I can, I just, with something that you said really beautifully, and I think it's something that's going to couch the whole conversation in general is, you know, and you you talked about these desires that God planted in your heart and Mm -hmm. in feeling like a feeling of a frustration that, that they weren't being met. First and foremost, finding your husband, and and it wasn't like those desires were bad desires. It wasn't. It no. wasn't like, or even, or selfish desires. It wasn't like you were desiring to make a bazillion dollars or drive some fancy cars, and you're being frustrated by not meeting these career goals. Just in your own life, in your own studies, how how did you reconcile your own faith journey with with the 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 frustration that you're feeling that those desires weren't weren't being met? Yeah, that's a great question. And and actually, we'll, we'll find that to be a connecting point with Springs in the Desert, because I couldn't do it alone. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a really key point for all of us in, in any aspect of our lives, and especially uh, with our spiritual lives as well. We can't do that alone. And you know, we can, we can have that prayer with God and cultivate that relationship with God. And ultimately our relationship with God is, is ours alone, right? We, you know, we have that particular, you know, kind of connection with God, but it's meant to be done in community. And so I couldn't just by the force of my will say, okay, God, here I go, I'm going to surrender. And with all my might, you know, that'll be it. I had to seek support. First of all, my family, you know, thank God, um, very supportive and loving, good friends. I mean, there was a time in my life, you know, primarily around college and in the years after college, um, that I realized that there were certain people that 
that I had to separate myself from. So, so it's important to have a good solid community around you, people who are sort of on the same page with you, who will be supportive of you spiritually. And finally, um, I have a really wonderful spiritual mother, um, a really wonderful, holy, prophetic, beautiful, prayerful woman um, who offered me a lot of guidance and, and still does. I mean, she's still, she's still a very important part of my spiritual life. Um, and so it was with that guidance that I began to know myself better through my relationship with God. So our relationship with God isn't just about sort of asking for things or, um, okay, let me learn about God. You know, I got a theological education. It's not just about learning about God, but it's also about learning about myself. Who am I? Who am I as a daughter of God? Who am I as, as this, this person, this child whom he loves and who he wants to flourish? I mean, God wants me to flourish. He wants all of us to flourish because we suffer adversities and struggles doesn't mean that somehow God loves us just a little bit less because we have this particular suffering or, or whatever it might be. But that was something that I had to learn. I mean, okay, Lord, you know, you can go through all of the things. Well, why didn't I get this? Why didn't I get this job, Lord? Why didn't this work out? You know, um, you can just sort of keep throwing these things at him. You know, why didn't this happen? Where we really need to kind of step back and say, okay, Lord, why didn't this happen? Why isn't it going this way? What are you trying to tell me? And where are you trying to direct me that I might be resisting? Because of course I know better, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a hard lesson because so often we then fall into comparisons with friends mm -hmm. and, and not even meaning to do it, but it just happens where it's like, well, they're getting kids or they have the job or they have the nice house. And it's like, what the heck, God? You know, I've been praying for all these things too. But you just do you not love me as much. But the reflection that you offered is the right one, which is to say, well, why is God allowing this to unfold in our lives? And, and what is the, the lesson? Because it's not just about this genie type relationship or this vending machine where we, we, mm -hmm. we, we ask to make the request and we get the result that we want. That the relationship with God, you said so beautifully, isn't, isn't just about me learning who he is but also him revealing who I am to myself, which is the great mystery of the incarnation in, in the Christian journey as a whole, is that God then reveals our, ourselves to ourselves and that we can't come to on that understanding with, without his, his grace. Um, and so the suffering ends up being a, a vehicle that he often uses. The restraints yeah. often are vehicles that God uses to, to, to force us to rethink who we are. How much of my value, even if it was good that I put myself in getting this done or achieving this goal or having this thing, no matter how well-intentioned any of those things are, sometimes we have to learn how to, how to let those things go or, or make an offering to the Lord, um, not just because it, it just, not because it doesn't make it hurt less, it still hurts, but, but because maybe he, he's asking of that to provide and to bring about some other good, some other grace that that wouldn't be present uh, unless life unfolded in the particular way that it did. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And I think, 
it, it, you get to the point then where you almost have to just kind of, you know, fall back into that wave and let it carry you. So, you know, exactly what you're saying, once you kind of come to that understanding, even if you don't like it, even if it's going to be hard to, to, you know, to, to lean in and let that wave take you at a certain point, you know, you kind of just have to do it and say, okay, Lord, you know, I'm still not sure about this and I don't think I like this or I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm going to yield to it right now. And, and, but I need you like every day and every moment, I need you to help me to not get sucked under this wave. Amen. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry, I cut you off. All right. So your no, story okay. is you're 44, you get married. Is that right? And we get married and, 40, and yeah, 46 is your husband. That's right. And, um, you know, so, so kind of realizing that we're older, so it's, it is probably not going to take, uh, you know, it's not going to happen as, as easily, but certainly we, we didn't know that it would be as difficult as it was. Now I mentioned that I have an older brother, so I'm the youngest of two, my husband, on the other hand, is a twin, and he is technically, by 20 minutes, the youngest in the family of 16. Oh, my. So, wow. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and his family is so wonderful, but, you know, you have that, you know, that little bit of pressure that I felt on that side, and because he's a twin, and his twin has two children, and, you know, there's there's this whole thought about, well, listen, uh, you know, on our side of the family, you know, we, we have a big family. Um, so, you know, that's kind of in my mind, okay, that, you know, is, is this all we're, we're having a hard time. So now is this all my fault? You know, my, my little family and my small group of cousins versus your gigantic family, you know, is, is that, is that what's going on? So, you know, the, the longer, the time goes by and and the more difficult it is. And, you know, you, you go to doctors and you seek treatment and, and nothing is happening. Um, there is such a range of emotions that, that overtakes you, um, frustration, anger, uh, sadness, um, you know, we, we can talk a lot about all those different emotions that are all wrapped up together. Then you have the difference, the male female difference, right? So the difference in the way that, that I am experiencing, um, this, this grief and this difficulty and the, and the way that he is and how that impacts the marriage. Um, so, so in the midst of all of this, um, you know, I, I start connecting again with Kimberly. Kimberly and I uh, are both graduates of the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family. She was a year um, behind me. And um, we didn't really run in the same circles. Um, I, I mean, we were more acquaintances than friends, but we happened to meet up at a conference. And in the course of our conversation, she shared that they were also experiencing um, infertility. And so we started talking about it. And pretty soon we started staying in touch and checking in with each other about it. And at the same time, uh, another classmate of mine um, was also experiencing infertility. And she and I were having conversations. And suddenly we kind of realized that we were this little 
kind of support group of three. Um, but we were all sort of saying the same things and speaking the same language and having the same emotions and experiences. And we weren't hearing those things outside of our little trio. Mm. Um, so at some point, and I'm not even sure exactly how it happens because the Holy Spirit, you know, Mario, the Holy Spirit just overwhelms you sometimes. And then you're in the middle of something and you're like, how did I get here? And, <laughs> and it's That's like, my life here. I don't know how I got to New Orleans and now we're still here. It's, yeah. you know, how am and I doing so, this show? What's going on? No, I get it. We're good. Right. Well, the Holy Spirit <laughs> plopped you right there where you, you are sure and said, this is what I want you to do. Right. Um, so, so as it happened, you know, Kimberly, who is a real go-getter, uh, said, you know, let's, let's explore this further. So it all really happened when she was asked to write an article for Humanum, mm -hmm. which is the journal, um, of the pastoral center that comes out of the JP two Institute. And she asked if I would, if I would co-author it with her. And so we worked on it for, uh, had to have been close to a year, just really kind of refining our thought about, you know, what does it mean to struggle with infertility and, and how, you know, what does that mean for me as a woman, um, as, as wanting to be a mother, what does it mean for marriage? How are we signs of, of, of the church? How are we signs of Christ's love if, if we can't be creative in this particular way? Mm. So through that, we actually titled that article Springs in the Desert. And one day we just sort of were talking with each other and we thought, hmm, that might be kind of a good name, you know, for like a ministry or something maybe. And, um, and that's how it started. And, and we really, it all was the fruit of a common struggle and friendship. Um, and that's where Springs in the Desert was born. And that is um, the mission that we are trying to live out and to spread and to invite more people into. It's beautiful. You know, the Lord says that he will make all things new, all things good. And, mm -hmm. and this, is, this is exactly what it is, is that the cross often, when it manifests in our life, it, it, God is inviting us then to be able to, to, to offer that and to use that for somebody else's betterment. Um, and so this, this struggle that you've carried, being able to find some meaning, some purpose in this, and being able mm -hmm. to help others as well on, on their journey. Now, I'm thinking right now of, of the young couple. I, I'm a marriage therapist and, and I've done marriage preparation and, and worked with a lot of couples over the years that, that I've been a therapist. And I know that this issue comes up as we talked about, you know, what did we say? Uh, 10% of women and one in five men basically have infertility issues. And so this comes up, you know, during, in counseling sessions. And, and I'm thinking now of the young couple who's excited to get married, similar to your story you spoke about, but then they realize they're starting to have difficulties with, with conceiving. Uh, it's most of the time where people tend to go is they, they want to offer practical solutions. And, right. and I know that your ministry is, is focused differently than offering the practical solutions. So, but, but there are some practical steps to, to, to evaluate when a couple is realizing that they are struggling with infertility. Like, so I guess just kind of going into this, if a couple is, is, is dealing with infertility, what, what's kind of a, a, a practical first step to say, okay, when should you first go speak with your doctor? And then what solutions should you, should you seek? Um, 
not to get completely caught into the practical, still managing the emotional, but but looking mm-hmm. at some of those the the things that are offered, um, what what is that like? What's that first conversation to have with your doctor? When should you be? When should you even be even be even thinking about having that conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think you should be thinking about that like when you're when you're a kid and when you're a teenager and when you're just looking at your whole just sort of overall health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because because so much of this really is is about, you know, just kind of your overall health and your lifestyle and how you how you care for your body and and that sort of thing. But I want to go back because you mentioned marriage prep mm-hmm. and I actually um I worked for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia when I was first um, when I first graduated from the JP2. I worked there for about seven years and I and I was responsible for marriage prep in the Archdiocese. And when I look back on it, um, you know, we there was a big focus on natural family planning, which which is good. And and, um, you know, human sexuality and, and its purpose and meaning and what the church has to say about it, which is all important. But um, infertility never really came up in marriage prep. And I think it's it's partly because of what you said. You know, you have the young couple who is so excited and ready and, you know, you don't want to just kind of come in with with the downer. Right. But but I think that it's something that's important for for more people to be aware of, sometimes, especially when we're talking in a marriage prep group. You know, we're trying to discourage things like contraception. Um, and so we become so focused on, we can become focused on those licit ways of not becoming pregnant that, um, that we can lose sight of talking about the, you know, the giftedness of, of motherhood and fatherhood. Um, and even, you know, talking about those difficulties that, that can arise um, in a marriage with, with our fertility. Um, so I think that, that just talking about our fertility and especially for a woman, um, you know, learning about her body, learning about her cycles, uh, charting, finding a good, um, perhaps a good doctor, uh, who practices the Creighton model, of natural family planning or going to one of the other methods that, that uses temperature and, and other signs, you know, to me, I think as as early as a woman can start doing that, even before marriage, I think that that's a great idea. Um, well, to your point, I just all, want to say I, that's why yeah. I even like the shift in the language that's happened in the last few years away from natural family planning to fertility awareness based methods. I, I just that notion of being aware of your fertility is is just a more I think it's a more accurate description of what we're trying to convey. Rather than because sometimes the natural family planning, and I don't want to go on, go down this necessarily, can be confused mm-hmm. as like, well, the church just wants you know green sex. You know, if you if you eat at Whole Foods right. and practice NFP, you're a better Catholic. It's it's not that. Right. It's it's because there are other natural means that are that are not licit in terms of ways to avoid um, uh, pregnancy. But but it, but this message this message of fertility awareness just seems to be much more holistic and much more in line. With with the overall program that the church is trying to communicate for the human person, so sorry, we keep going. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And holistic was was actually the word that I was going to use. I mean, this idea that we're looking at ourselves as whole persons, um, you know, body, mind, and spirit, I think is so important. So, you know, as to when a couple or a woman, you know, begins to look at their fertility. I, 
I mean, right away, anytime before you're, before you're married. Um, and so, you know, there, there are more and more great Catholic doctors and practices that are popping up all over the country. So, I mean, I would encourage any of your listeners, um, if they're looking for, for someone, for a good doctor, a good gynecologist to look into, um, a doctor who, who practices, um, Napro technology, natural procreative technology, not even just in terms of of uh, infertility, but just in terms of your overall health, reproductive health. There's also this sort of burgeoning area called restorative reproductive medicine. That's again really looking at the whole person, looking at the body, at the emotions, at, at the spiritual side, um, looking at diet and lifestyle, and you know just how we're treating our bodies. I think it's a really beautiful way for us to to look at ourselves and our bodies to, you know, to look at the way that God created us and to honor that and, and to see how wonderful that is, even in our fallen state, just how beautifully and wonderfully um, we're made. So, you know, I, I, I would encourage anybody, um, you know, who is preparing for marriage or even just thinking about marriage, you know, begin to really look at, at your overall health and your reproductive health now. It's, it's not too early. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Marcia Casa. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Anne Koshu to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. On the website, you will find many great resources to help you in your relationship. One particular resource that we offer at Faith and Marriage is a marriage retreat, especially during these times of coronavirus and quarantining. Sometimes we still need to be able to get away and to retreat together as a spouse. At Willwoods, we have these marriage retreats that we've been conducting for, for many, many years. And over the last few months, we have done every precaution necessary to ensure that the attendees of our retreats are safe. We have social distancing in, in effect um, and making sure that we still have an amazing retreat experience, even with social distancing standards. If you want to find out more, please check us out at faithandmarriage.org. But if a couple is struggling with infertility and they go to a doctor and they start doing this holistic kind of care program, mm -hmm. look at everything, measuring yeah. diet, measuring exercise, measuring history, all, all of those different right. things. There is a line though that the church in her moral teaching kind of communicates. And, and when we start getting into like, so medicines to increase ovulation is fine because it, it preserves the, 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 the reproductive act as I understand this. So please tell me if I'm wrong. I don't have the master's degree in theology here. Um, so, but but when it comes to other assisted rep reproductive technologies, in vitro fertilization, particularly is the one that's coming to mind that's that's very popular nowadays. The church would 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 uh, disagree with that as a viable option for solving the infertility uh, that a couple is struggling with. Why? 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 Does is that? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. So, you know, and this is this can be a very difficult thing, especially for for Catholic couples um, to reconcile because that desire is so strong. Um, and because, you know, you look back at God's command in the beginning, which is what? Be fruitful and multiply. Right. And so there can be this tendency to think, OK, well, then that means that 
pretty much by any means, if that's what God wants, then any means at our disposal is what we can use. And, you know, without getting down into the weeds and, and talking about all of the different reproductive techniques that, that are mm-hmm. out there, I mean, you had mentioned IVF specifically. The I bottom line more, is, so and there are many more, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I mean, the way that, that science technology and technology are moving so rapidly uh, you know, who, who, who knows, knows? Who knows exactly? Who knows yeah. what's coming next? Yeah, yeah. But what it comes down to is um, this understanding, first off, of our bodies as good, as as good creations of God, and not um, not laboratories, not not um, objects that can be manipulated, um, and to see the, the the child, the potential child, as a gift not something that is owed to us, um, and not something that we have a right to acquire um, by any means. Even that language that, that I'm using right there, you know, rights and acquiring, really tends to depersonalize um, the human person and the child in particular. And so the church wants to guard against that and wants to really protect us and protect you know, our own bodies from manipulations that can ultimately be harmful to us. And that can be harmful, even if, even if they don't in that moment seem so, but can be harmful to that marital relationship. So that when you start, you know, pulling in a lot of technical um, sorts of things, techniques that begin to separate us more and more from, from that, that beautiful marital relationship, that conjugal relationship, um, we begin to see a kind of grasping and, and just a, a use of technology of reducing, uh, reducing our bodies and the potential child to, um, to an object, something to be acquired, something to be achieved. Um, yeah, that's really hard because for many people, particularly in an American notion of science and in technology, we, we, we've come to the point that we feel like we can just do whatever we want, whenever we want. And so then to draw limitations on things, and again, good things, the desire for children is a very good thing as we've spoken about. And seeking to get that desire fulfilled is not bad. It's not actually, it's really good, but to what end and to what cost? And, and you know, the, the, the ends don't always justify the means upon which that we go and seek those things out. Um, so, but we do know that this is a popular method and there are a lot of individuals who are sitting in her pews that have, that are in the midst of this treatment or have tried it. Um, and so just being, being aware of that as well. Um, but, it, but, but again, going back to then this young couple, uh, coming in and thinking and, and, and maybe they're thinking about this, but, but really they just want to, to, to have a child. Um, it's, it's hard to be able to say, uh, yes, your desire is good. Um, but but no, going crossing those lines um, are are not good, and in the end, they, they probably will be more detrimental to your relationship. Is, is that right? Yeah, and there's also what I would call kind of the myth of the quick fix, um, because people look at these techniques, for example, like IVF, um, and they seem very easy. And unfortunately, you know, you will also. I mean, I I know of people who have gone to doctors. Um, I know of a, you know, of a couple who, who was a little bit older, like my husband and myself when they married 
And their doctor just went right to IVF and didn't even look at anything else, didn't even look at at her. I mean, not looking at this woman and her body and, and how her body works, but just said, okay, you are a number on an age scale, which tells us that it's going to be really difficult. So let's just go right to, to this technique. It's all very sort of calculating and, and technical. We tend not to want to think of it in that way, but if we break it down in that way, we, you know, we see how, how, um, how just really technical that is and is not taking into account the whole person. Um, but at the same time, IVF is, is not a kind of magic solution um, and, and actually, you know, the rates are not that great for, um, for pregnancies and, and there's a greater risk of miscarriage. And so it's not really the panacea that people think it is, but, but you're right because that desire is so strong. Um, I think, you know, our tendency is, is to want to grasp onto anything that we can, um, in order to ease the pain really is, is what it comes down to, you know, to, to take away the pain that that longing is producing in us. Yeah. It could, because that, and that's always the tension with, with, with Catholic teaching in this, in that we want to serve and, uh, practice the corporal works of mercy, which means that we want to be able to alleviate people's suffering while at the same time, recognizing that there is purpose and meaning in that suffering. And so we're always working to try to alleviate the suffering while at the same time trying to bring God's grace into that suffering. And it's really this both and that really requires a a real discernment. So what would you say to the couple who is in the midst of some licit fertility care, they're they're trying uh, and they're a few months into this and and they're tired and and you know the story is, the story is you you take the tests, and I don't have to say this to you, I know, but for what I've hear, you know, from couples in counseling is that you take the test monthly and then you have some hope or excitement that you're going to test positive and, and then, and, and then the disappointment is that it isn't there. Then you have to wait another month again. Sometimes the, right. the strain on marriages is that husbands will feel like they're just sperm, sperm donors because it's robbing mm-hmm. intimacy of the relationship because you're so focused on the charting that you have to get it, you know, you have to plan accordingly. And, and so it takes away some of the romance and spontaneity of 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 the the sexual act in, in the relationship. Um, what would you say? How would you encourage the couple that's on that journey right now? Yeah, I think that that there's a couple of things that are important. The spiritual aspect, I think, is is very important to nurture your relationship with the Lord individually and nurture your relationship with Him together. So it means going to church, you know, going to mass on Sundays or more frequently, if you can receiving the sacraments, going to confession. (laughs) That's, that's a really important one because, um, you know, we, we have to keep that relationship with God and, and, um, you know, getting rid of some of those resentments that, that might build up and the anger and all of those things. So, so that spiritual aspect, I think, is really important. But it's also important for you to nurture your relationship as a couple. Um, 
to, because you're right, it can feel like a job mm. in a way, um, you know, and, and you can feel like things are scheduled and, and they've got to happen in just such a way, um, you know, and, and, it, and it's so timely, right? There's a, there's a time limit on this. There's a time limit on our fertility. And so we can get so caught up in all of that that we really lose sight of each other. I mean, we, we, and, you know, earlier when I was talking about how some of these artificial reproductive techniques can kind of depersonalize us and our bodies or objectify the child, well, we can objectify each other as spouses too. We can begin to look at each other as a means to an end. And I think what I would say to a couple is that if you start to notice that, if you start to, you know, have those thoughts, that's the time to sort of check yourself and, and step back and say, wait a minute, we need to reevaluate what's going on here. We need to, you know, begin to nurture our relationship, our couple relationship. Again, we need to kind of relook at this desire for a child, our common desire to, to create a family. And what does that mean? Is, is having the, the baby um, more important than anything else in the world? Does it supersede our marriage? Is it greater than our desire for salvation and our, our life with Christ? Um, we have to be able to kind of see those as flags and, and step back for a moment from them. Um, it may even require us to, to take a little break at some point. And I know that that is really scary because of the sensitivity, right? Because of the time, but it may be that the best thing for us at a certain point is, is to take a break for a little while. But whatever, whatever we decide, even if we continue to pursue treatments, I think the most important thing is that we continue to nurture that relationship with our spouse. Remember why we got married. Remember that, that love and that common purpose that we have, which is to live a life together in love and to be a sign of Christ to the world and ultimately to help each other get to heaven. Amen. How did you and your husband, is it Keith? Is that right? Was that it's Keith. Keith right. How did you guys navigate some of those conversations? I mean, I think in some sense we still are, even though at this point, you know, our, our window on fertility has closed and that has been, um, an interesting transition to make there. I think for us realizing, and much of this has come through founding Springs in the Desert and doing this work and meeting so many other people and other couples and hearing their stories, we've come to realize that there's a real grief um, associated with infertility. And I think oftentimes um, we don't give ourselves permission to grieve because we don't think that infertility is something that's grievable right? Because what did you lose? I mean, in some cases, of course, um, there are people suffering through infertility who, who tragically lose a child. They suffer miscarriage. Um, in our case, we've never conceived. And so, you know, we can sort of look at ourselves and say, well, we haven't lost anything, right? But, but that lack of, of fertility, that lack of conceiving is a real loss and something to be grieved. And I think we, we kind of came to that realization and then we were able to talk about that more honestly 
with each other. And especially I was able to look at my husband with much more sensitivity, um, partly because of his personality, but also because of the way that men sort of handle their emotions uh, differently. You know, for so long, I just thought he didn't really care. I knew he wanted children, but I thought, well, I guess he doesn't want them as much as I do. Um, and there, but there were a couple of instances in our marriage where, um, you know, that emotion came through, not the way that, that I expected it to, right. Cause I'm thinking, well, why aren't you crying and wailing? And, you know, um, so, you know, that's the thing is we can't expect that our spouse must act in this way or must process grief in this way, or must respond in this way. You know, we must take them for who they are and and um, for the way that they particularly grieve through this loss. Um, so once I kind of let go of that, my, you know, my expectations for how he should be, it, it much more uh, the conversation was much more open then. And we were able to kind of talk with each other about how we each were processing this. And, and to begin to move forward together um, and, and really um, coming back to each other again and again. Yes, we, we want to have this family. Um, yes, we feel sad and all of these other emotions. Um, but ultimately, we stand before each other and together we stand before God. And that is what is important. And that is what is worth holding on to and nurturing. Um, and ultimately that's good enough. If I can't look at my husband and say, Hey, you know, you, you are enough for me. God has given me to you. Then I, I don't know why I got married. <laughs> that's so beautiful. That's really, that's really beautiful. That question right there is, are you enough for me? Do I really mm -hmm. believe that? even in whatever challenges or difficulties are present. John Gottman, who is one of the most popular researchers on marriage, he says that one of the things that happens with couples often is that they get into this, this period of gridlock. And so avoiding gridlock is a way to be able to, or couples who, couples, I should say it this way, couples who avoid gridlock or navigate difficult issues in their relationship, persistent difficult issues in their relationship, tend to be healthier and happier than couples mm -hmm. who don't, who always fall into this kind of headbutting situation. And it, he says that 73% of the problems in marriage are unsolvable problems. That means that they're virtually perpetual. Mm -hmm. And so if we look at something like infertility in that lens, we're saying, okay, the problem's there. We're not denying it. We're not pretending it's not there. You can't put your head under the sand. You got to deal with it. But how do you deal with it? One, you said so beautifully, is the union what matters here? Like what matters mm -hmm. here the most is that God has called me to this vocation, not just in the abstract, but to you specifically. And God called me to marry you. And together, through our love, God will bless us and guide us and lead us to heaven, whatever that means. That's the vow. For better, for worse, in sickness and health, till death do us part. That's what we say. That's what we're doing. So do we believe that? And if we believe that, then when the cross manifests itself, when sickness and, and poorness manifest in life, do we still choose or, or are we jumping ship? So... Maintaining the perspective that, that the union is what matters. But then in the midst of that, navigating whatever expectations that I have 
And I know this as a <laughs> husband. It's like, well, why can't she just get over it? Why does she keep bringing this thing up? Or why does she think the things that she does, recognizing that part of who she is, is that she just sees the world differently than the way mm-hmm. I see it. And both of our perspectives are, are part of this larger puzzle. And we have to kind of honor each other's perspectives on this. So we have to let go of expectations, like you said so beautifully. Is he, right. Does he even care? Does he even want kids as much as me? I tend to be more emotional about this than he is. Why, why isn't he speaking to me? Why isn't he saying enough? So letting go of all those expectations, which means then also letting go of whatever resentments that we build up. Is it his fault? You know, or, or is there something I'm not doing? Uh, whatever judgments, whatever shame that kind of emerges in, a, in mm-hmm. a tender circumstance like this, really being able to do the work back to awareness, doing, doing the work to be aware of the ways that shame is manifesting in, in your relationship and being able to articulate that in a way that can be received with love and with tenderness. Um, because it, your relationship, God has given you your, your spouse for a reason. And whatever difficulties are there, uh, God is, God wants to walk you through, through them all. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And it's funny that you mentioned expectations because For those of us who are married, I think if we are honest, the expectations that we have about marriage, we kind of realize that they're not quite what we thought they would be like the next day when we wake up and like we roll over and we see this person. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, this might end up being different from what I thought, (laughs) but that's not bad. No, not at all. You know? It's not not bad, but, you know, so, I mean, there's, I think that there's a way in which no matter how, no matter how great the marriage prep is or, you know, whatever we're doing and however we're prepared, we're really not because ultimately when you get married, you are taking a risk. You are giving your life and your future away and you don't even know what that is. But the great risk is that you are handing that over to this other person and saying, I entrust Mm. my whole life, my whole future, my whole everything to you. And I trust because we're doing this, you know, not not in front of God, but we're doing this with God that we will make this work. If I entrust myself to you and you entrust yourself to me and together we give ourselves to God, then he's going to lead us through this. And it's going to be bumpy. Um, and sometimes it's going to be really lousy, you know, because we just never know what, what sorts of things, uh, will happen in our lives. Um, but ultimately we're, we're, you know, we're doing this together and we're not alone. We have we have God because we're in the sacrament and we have a community. And, you know, to kind of circle it back to Springs in the Desert, that's that's what we are about is really creating a community of friendship and accompaniment, because ultimately this apostolate is about infertility, but it's also about the good of the person. It's about the good of marriage. It's about the good of relationships. We want to support marriages. We want to support relationships. We want to support, you know, the, we, we've had people who come to us who are divorced and, or who are widows and, 
you know, they never had that opportunity to have children for, for whatever reason they didn't have children. And that's, that's a loss and a lack in their lives. Um, we have women who come to us who are not yet married and who are who are expressing that desire that I talked about back at the beginning of the program, right? So we, we have so many people, women and men, from different perspectives in different times of their lives with, with all sorts of other different struggles that, that they bring. And we want to be a place of, of community and accompaniment and you know, circling back to to that reason for why we started Springs in the Desert, it's because Kimberly and I were not experiencing that wherever we looked. We were not experiencing that particular kind of accompaniment and support. There's great support out there and great ministries out there to um, to help couples in getting their reproductive health in good order and and achieving pregnancy and all of that stuff is really wonderful. But what we found missing was that accompaniment, was that acknowledgement that um, you are suffering and we want to walk with you in that suffering, but we don't want you to kind of sit in that suffering. God didn't create us to suffer. Doesn't mean that, that suffering doesn't come to us. Um, but we're made for more. We're made for hope. We're made for community. We're made for love. And, and that's ultimately what we want to provide to Springs in the Desert. And for, for those who, um, who are married and are struggling through this infertility right now, um, we want them to know that their relationship, their marriage is good. And it is fruitful in ways that are unexpected, mm -hmm. that don't meet those expectations, but are nonetheless beautiful and wonderful and a fruitfulness that only they can bring about through God. Like it's a special fruitfulness and creativity that God has given to you and he wants you to flourish in it, even if it doesn't look the way that you had expected when you started out. So what is that spiritual motherhood or spiritual fatherhood? Is that, is that kind of what you're alluding to? I mean, yes. And you can call it that. I think some people um, kind of uh, shrink away from that a little bit because they think of it as kind of a second rate. They think of it as a, a sort of consolation prize because I didn't get the, you know, I didn't get the real thing. But spiritual motherhood and fatherhood, um, you know, if you want to put it in that way, is there are, another term that real. you use? Is there what other uh, terms would you use? No, I mean, I, 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 I don't think there necessarily is. I think there's just, you know, sort of a fulfillment, the creative fulfillment uh, of yourself and of your marriage, and that can take many, many different uh, forms. Concretely, of course. Um, some people will choose to go the, the route of adoption. Uh, right. Kimberly has built her family through fostering and adopting. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a beautiful manifestation and, and a beautiful way to create your family. And so if you're called to that, if, and I think, you know, it behooves, it behooves people to give that some real discernment and thought. Some people will just sort of write that off and say, no, no, we're, we're not going that way. But I think in much the same way that, that for me, I discerned the religious life to just to make sure, Lord, are you calling me in that way? 
I think it's good to discern, okay, is God calling us to, to this parenthood through building our family, through foster care, through adoption? Um, and when you go through that discernment, it, if for a variety of reasons, you know, you see that you're not led that way, there's so many other ways that, that God is calling you to be fruitful. Actually, it doesn't matter whether you have 16 children, like in my husband's family, or no children, or you adopt. We're called to be creative and fruitful all the time. It doesn't stop. Like you don't have X number of children and you met your fruitfulness quota, so now you can just rest. We're constantly, our marriages are constantly called to being creative, right? So the hospitality that we show to, to others, right? The way that we open our homes and our families, um, the way that we participate in the community, um, perhaps a ministry that we might do in our parishes. Um, so many little ways that, that we, um, that we enact that for me, that spiritual motherhood. You know, I have a good friend who um, is very wise, a very close friend. She's, she's about 10 years older than I am. We meet every couple of months and, um, and we talk. And, you know, very often she shares with me some struggle that she's going through. And, and after we work through it, she'll say to me, thank you so much for your spiritual motherhood. So I think we have to rethink this whole idea of spiritual motherhood because we, we kind of put it into a box and we don't realize how many ways we are being fruitful and creative and mothering or fathering another person because we think it needs to look a, a specific way. Um, yeah, so to not take away, so many, exactly, not to take away the pain of infertility, mm-hmm. but even in mm-hmm. that recognizing, as you said so beautifully, that the creative outlet, and not just artistically, but but generally the fruitfulness is is part of the pillars. It's 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 one of the it's the natural outcome of what love is. I mean, if if we are that's right. Our, every marriage may is 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 meant to mirror God's love for us, therefore it's always going to be creative because God's love is creative. It just can't help itself. So there is no quota, right. there's no limit. But being open to where, where where then is God calling you to? So if a couple is having to come to terms with the reality of infertility, mourning that, grieving that, as you said so beautifully, there is a loss, a real loss that's there. But then even in the midst of that grief and that mourning, also trying to turn that to the Lord and really begin some key discernments about what are the other ways that mm-hmm. God is inviting your marriage to be fruitful whether that is through fostering or adopting a child, or whether that is being involved in a particular ministry or informally through relationships with, with individuals, mm-hmm. a recognition that the love that exists between the two of you will always be uh, outward, will always find an outward expression. And so always choosing that. So I'll say this, a final couple, couple questions here as we're kind of coming to, to, to the end. Um, with, with friends who struggle with infertility, um, what, what are some do's and don'ts here? Okay. So what, what are things that, that, that you find helpful and what are things that, that weren't helpful to you, uh, during your journey when, when people were, were giving you all those bits of advice, uh, that you spoke about yeah. earlier in the show? Well, I think, you know, you kind of hit on it earlier that this advice, um, and you know, the, the kind of two cents that everybody feels like they need to throw in, right. 
most of the time, uh, the majority of the time, it comes from a place of love and of care. And I really think it, it is because we hate to see anyone else suffering, right? Especially the people that we care about. And we want to, we want to stop that suffering, uh, you know, in any way that we can. So I think on, on the, the side of the person or the couple who experiences infertility, I would offer and invite us to a little bit of generosity in, in that way. Um, and it can be difficult because, um, you know, sometimes, especially, uh, in some family situations or in certain circles, maybe within your parish, you may get those questions a lot, or the same people might kind of throw those, those questions or that advice at you. Uh, when are you going to have kids or when will you get started or those sorts of things? And it, it can be difficult. So I would invite us who are, who are on, you know, the infertility side of, of the fence, um, I would invite us to, to use that as an opportunity to practice a little bit of generosity, to understand that for the most part, this comes from a place of care and, and, and from that sort of feeble attempt to save us from suffering, right? So it's, it's um, a way for us to kind of practice that generosity. That's good. That so, being so being sarcastic to your mother-in-law isn't, isn't helpful. Is that what you're saying? It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Being sarcastic to anybody like you just were. Mario. I know. I'm, so, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Darn it. <laughs> I was sarcastic. I was, that was meta sarcasm right there. Is what right, that was. That's right. I was sarcastic about being sarcastic. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's geez. right. Um, <laughs> There's a hot place no, waiting for me on the other side of this is all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's true. I mean, you know, it, it does, it does offer us that, that opportunity. It's like that old, um, you know, that, that kind of thing that you'll say about, you know, um, praying to God for humility or for patience. Right. And then what happens? Like you, you undergo the worst embarrassment of your life or, you know, the most annoying person in the world sits down next to you. Well, you prayed for that. So God is giving you that opportunity. You know, he doesn't just sprinkle fairy dust over you and now you are patient. He gives you that opportunity to exercise that patience and to learn it. So, so it's an opportunity for fruitfulness and generosity, right? <laughs> but on the other side, on the other side of the fence, I think that it's not so much a list of do's and don'ts as it is um, being in relationship with this person. I think we live in a society right now, which probably is driven mostly by social media and comment boxes on blogs and, and websites that we sort of feel free to say whatever we want in whatever way we choose. And we, we don't really care if it's hurtful or we want to sound smart or whatever. So, you know, in general, in life, I think it's a good idea for us all to kind of get away from from that, you know, to sort of think and be generous ourselves in, in how we treat another person. Um, but I think it's mostly being in relationship, you know, if, if you have, especially in families, you know, um, or among close friendships, you know, cultivating that, that closeness, that getting to know the other person and listening to them, um, 
infertility is something that's really hard to share because you feel so inadequate. You feel as if there's something wrong. You feel as if God is punishing you. I mean, you have you have all of these emotions and it can be um, embarrassing in some ways. You can feel as if you're letting people down, right? Oh, I'm not giving my parents grandchildren. You, you know, you can really tie yourself up in knots. Um, and so for for the people who love those struggling with infertility, be patient with them, be kind, um, and listen to them. It's very easy to say, can I do anything to help you? Um, may I pray for you? Or I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, or I love you. And if you want to talk, I'm here. And if they do open up to you just to listen not to offer, not to give them the number of your acupuncturist or, you know, all of these things, because, you know, believe it or not, we we pretty much know all the solutions and the techniques and, and everything else. Um, most of all, what we want is for you to love us and for you to just be there with us and, and to pray for us and to listen. Um, so, you know, I think that's the way in which the people who love those who are dealing with infertility can can love us and be the most generous to us is by just being there for us. Beautiful. You talked about generosity on both sides of the fence there and a recognition that for those who are struggling with infertility, give the benefit of the doubt that the comments are coming from a place where genuinely it's coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. But then for for the other side of the fence of the individuals who are speaking to those who, who are infertile, just being a little bit more judicious with your words and, and, and recognizing that your own helplessness isn't, isn't, um, you, you, just because you feel helpless, that that's not a good enough excuse for you to offering some kitschy or cliched, you know, kind of thing or some, some cheap response. Again, it's coming from a good place, but what you're saying is what, what's, what's better here is accompaniment relationship, shared right. helplessness uh, in, in the positive way of that in terms of a communal kind of building together, having having some compassion, uh, solidarity is, is a good Catholic word here, suffering with the other person. Right. All of those things are, are much more fruitful uh, and much more helpful in this conversation than, than, than just offering some name of an acupuncturist or a dietitian or a herbologist or whatever else you want to offer. Um, again, not saying that the person shouldn't explore other options, but by that point, they probably have is, 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 is what's being said here. So, Anne, yeah. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time and, and being here with us. If, if people want to get more information on Springs in the Desert, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can go to our website, which is springsinthedesert.org. They can follow us on Facebook, uh, look us up on Springs in the Desert. We have a public page, and I should mention that we we have been doing um, Facebook Live events, and so they can go to our Facebook page and watch that. We actually did one on Monday um, on uh, discerning treatment, and so that would be a great one um, for your listeners if, if you are in the midst of treatment or if you are thinking about it or, you know, how, how far do I go? When do I stop? Those kinds of things. Um, we also have a private Facebook group that you can join, which is for private conversation, prayer requests, 
um, and discussion. We are also on Instagram and we have our Springs in the Desert podcast, which is available on, on most uh, platforms. And so um, you can listen to us and our, our discussions there also. You can also email us at info at springsinthedesert.org. And I'd really encourage um, anyone, you know, if you're struggling with infertility, if you have questions, if you love somebody who is struggling and, and you know, you want some support, if you are a pastor and you are thinking, you know, how do I help couples in my parish who have this suffering, please contact us. You know, we are building a beautiful community with people from many different backgrounds and perspectives, and we are all just learning from each other and accompanying each other. And and we really want to spread awareness and education um, that infertility is not something that um, is to be suffered alone, but it's in community. And it also um, can be a, a, a pilgrimage of hope, even though it is so difficult. Um, it can be a way um, of opening us up to a, to a fruitfulness and to blessings from God that, that we had no idea were possible. Amen. Well, we will have links to all of that in the show notes. And yeah. Anne Koshu, final question to ask all my first time guests, what gives you hope? <sighs> Things like this give me hope. Um I think that the community that I have seen spring up, <laughs> spring up in Springs in the Desert. <laughs> no pun, no pun, gives, right? No, but, but it's true. It gives me great hope. Um, we, we have been meeting so many wonderful men and women who are coming to us and giving us the privilege of shouldering some small part of their suffering um, the fact that another person is willing to let you, like Simon of Cyrene, let you um, help them carry their cross, that gives me hope. I think if if more of us did that, if we if we um, if we kind of uh, yielded ourselves to each other just a little bit more, um, there would be a lot more hope and joy and beauty in the world. Wow. Well, I can't think of a more beautiful way of ending the show than just that reflection you offered to us right there. So God bless you and your ministry. And Thank I you. hope that you guys have a great day. Thanks, Mario. God bless you. So thanks everybody for chiming in and listening to another amazing episode of the Always So Podcast. Thanks to Anne Kashut and for her time and vulnerability. Again, we just want to offer some prayers and thoughts uh, for those who struggle with infertility. Know that the church is there with you and supports you and that God loves you and that God wants to be present with you in the midst of suffering. And so if you are in need of some support, please check out Springs in the Desert. The website, link to the website is in the show notes below. God bless everybody.